Good, good, good morning and hallelujah, my weeaboo brethren. Rise up. Welcome to the Weeaboo Corner. Did you have a good fortnight? I had a real good fortnight. If you are new here today, we talk about anime, we talk about anime titties, we got the plot. Let's get it. Let's get it right now. Come on. Hold my hand. Let's get it. Okay, we are here this morning to speak about to speak about the way we are treated. 90% of weeaboo civilians are harassed and degraded for their taste in anime. So here I am to set the record straight and put some of y'all on the path to enlightenment. Today, we are not only bringing back the point system, but we are switching up the game, ladies and neats. We have one whole beach episode here for you today, one. So you wanna keep that hydration nearby. Put on your seatbelt, park your car in the middle of the damn road because we are about to become a lot more cultured than you were about 15 minutes ago. You ready? I'm ready. I'm personally ready. Now, I will give you a second to get properly ready. Now, pause the video here, buy some popcorn, pour some Fanta, get your dick out because we're going to jump into the goodness. I'll give you one second, okay? Mm hmm? Hmm? We jump in it. There is a solemn envy I feel towards the Yakuza. Loyalty, strength, the courage to stand up against all odds for the boss and do anything you can possibly do to make sure the job is done. But what if that job involves getting your dick chopped off? What then, huh? We gotta talk some good bits about Backstreet Girls Goku dolls. You, you can't be mad at these men for all the dirtiness done to these fellas. You truly have to take a good step back I wonder what you would do in these shoes. The Yakuza members are found in a tough decision between whether or not they want their bodies mangled or just their genitals, and as they choose the latter, they are promptly turned and transformed into Japanese pop idols overnight and placed through a year's worth of vigorous training to make them the perfect idols ever manufactured in a lab. Something very fishy, really, really sets us apart from shows like Love Live, Love Live, Love Live, Love life, as you can clearly see on their faces and their inner monologues that they clearly don't want to be here at all. They say it out loud sometimes. <laughs> In fact, I'm certain that it's their character arc that they genuinely don't want to be idols at all. But the story isn't about how much they don't want to become them. It's more about how much they're forced and hypnotized to transform into them. And they can't help this aggressive transformation by their violently passionate and also a uh, violently violent Yakuza boss. But comedy shows of this calibre aren't really subjected to a certain coherence in storyline, so there's a lot to unfold here. First, the three Yakuza become idols. Then, someone else from another Yakuza faction goofs up and becomes an idol too. And finally, we have a runaway real girl who joins shortly afterwards. So a lot of character unfolding comes throughout the show every now and then, and were introduced to a different aspect of an idol from when they were a dude, and the episode kind of unpacks itself from there. Ultimately, the storyline isn't something to be directly gripped by, as the storyline is exactly what it is in the first episode. This is a comedy story about girls on the outside and boys on the inside, and don't you dare take that out of context, 
these are men in their hearts. <laughs> these characters aren't entirely difficult to tell apart as ultimately they do have varying personalities throughout the entire show. Not going by names, but idols are clearly distinguished by their fans as uh, by the fans they uphold and by the way that they're prompted to act by the media around them <laughs> since they all are told to act exactly the same. Uh, we find a lot more deeper meaning behind uh, what it is to be an idol, what it's like to be an idol, as it doesn't really matter where you come from in the world, if you have the look of an idol, you have to act like an idol, uh, and the stress of the ordeal, is it truly takes a toll on these idols, and they turn to alcoholism after a long day on the job of what is, of, of being told what to, uh, hold on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking way too deep into this. <laughs> the way that the fans are depicted in the show is truly something I've never actually seen done in anything else. As the fans are usually, uh, as usually fans are, are seen as these normal faceless, smiling boy with default hairstyles and Fortnite skin. However, we see that they are more than just that. They are something, they are sometimes... Uh, morbidly obese, morbidly disgusting otaku who wear limited edition chica swimsuits underneath their work clothes. <laughs> and they're even their dads. They are Yakuza bosses. Your next door neighbour could be an idle otaku freak. Heck, even I'm one now. <laughs> Shit. The world of idols really puts you in the feeling of, I want to die. As the world around these idols rarely is rarely meet and greets and signings, you find that a lot of harassment even goes inside of the homes of these idols, as their colleagues who know full well that these idols are dudes still insist on grabbing a titty or two. Culture. We find that a fair amount of emotional moments drift in and out of these episodes, as the passion these Yakuza members put into their lives pre-idol circa 2018 drastically are uh, drastically and dramatically implemented into their idol work from critiquing cheesecake to honestly just training to be better idols these guys uh, knock it straight out of the stadium with the way that they uno reverse any advice they'd gotten by someone else who'd picked them up unfortunately the only way this would be emotional is to someone who solemnly envied the yakuza and that's hold on there is a solemn envy I feel towards the Yakuza. Obviously, the music in the show is fucking amazing, and I can never help but dance like I did in high school to this bullshit. My issue is how catchy the songs are in show, but the moment the episode is over, I can't remember a single thing about it. And that's a problem, because the theme song is the only thing I can remember. That... God damn it, it's happened again. <laughs> But the music isn't actually the entire vocal point of the show. Let's let's gather round to talk about how funny this fucking show is. <laughs> it's funny. It's great. It's, it's hilarious. Honestly, it's hard to pinpoint a it's, it's hard to pinpoint a single hilarious part of the show when the entire ass show makes me howl every two minutes. This <laughs> the way this show makes me laugh is something you honestly don't see often. It's how vulgar the language is, the way that the characters don't value each other at all, the way that the idols are done this dirty. Goku Dolls truly opens the door to people who have a deep, held back longing for idols getting their ass beaten once a day. 
the verdict. Goku Dolls has no beach episode. It has no final awakening. It has no plot. Goku Dolls gets five out of 10. Congratulations, we did it. Wait, next one. Aye, so if y'all women don't know the basic 48 positions, what are y'all doing, man? Are you even trying? Even Akiho Kosuka went out of her way to learn every single one of them, but will she do it? Can she believe in herself? Is her view on a relationship a little more skewed than the protagonists? I gotta tell y'all about my girlfriend at the show, bitch. So, you like a girl, congratulations. You pick up the courage to ask her out and she says yes. That's pretty cool, that's cash money. You've got the girl, but unfortunately for you, you also have hella hoes. What then? <laughs> Every episode, we are introduced to a whole new hoe and it does sometimes get exhausting, I mean, what do you do when you're surrounded by this much tang? Honestly, the only option is to start a tournament arc and pit every girl against each other in the stunning, uh, starting the unforgettable War of the Waifus. But this show does something uh, a lot less awesome and settles for a slice of life about a girl who has no idea how to act in a relationship. We find a varied selection of scenarios in her head that are uh, what she'd imagine her first time as, but it's also ridiculously slapstick that it never really goes as it goes to plan. And we see the end result is a complete embarrassment. And is that something that you're interested in seeing 10 episodes of? Yeah? Fantastic. So, the story starts in 2015. New Japan is flooded. Shinji Ikari is sorry. Whew. Haruka asking out Kosuke. To be his girlfriend, she says yes. Fantastic. I'm so happy. I'm honestly over the moon. So, she is quirky and charismatic. Uh, he's quirky and charismatic. He is quirky and charismatic. Uh, he's the main character. He's never seen a full titty in his life. The real comedy comes from the scenarios and how Haruka diffuses every single situation with his innocent awkwardness towards anything sexually charged and how much of a soy boy he can be. My girl works so hard to try and please this man, but secretly, between you and I, I'm certain my man can never be pleased. Coherence is this show's biggest enemy. It's a slice of life and we can never really get a true grip on where we are in the story, so the safest way to do this would be to assume that when the sky dark, it night, and when the sky blue, next day. Take it from me, it is the safest bet. It's important to keep in mind that the characters do not want to smash Haruka, not once. In fact, <laughs> I don't know if this man is appealing to anyone except his girlfriend, and that's big ratings. They just mad about the embarrassment, bro. They love it. They revel in it. Unfair how much of an embarrassment these girls are. Because the way that they act around Haruka is that they purposefully explain shit to make my man look terrible. Uh, a vast amount of the humour will come from the lack of communication or a skewed translation. So we'll get a lot of ridiculous but heard terms like rolling around with big hairy boys, 
or sleeping with a big hairy man and the lack of communication will come from the fact that they are dogs and they are absolutely not a prequel to a hentai that I haven't seen yet. <sighs> Fantastic. Despite the fact that the world building isn't entirely humongous, we're led through wonderful and well drawn out scenarios such as arcades, the homes of the two protagonists, and the school looks exactly how you'd imagine a school to look like. Wow, school. But we get a pretty decent idea of where we are in the world. Japan. Maybe. <laughs> but am I going to get away with avoiding the plot today? Absolutely not. My manager will be furious, as well as fast. And we got we to gotta get, get, get out head into the plot here. There are various levels of plot. We have slice of life fun for kids. We have occasional plot, healthy dose of plot, and basically hentai. This right here has a good healthy dose of plot. I'm not saying high school DXD levels or monster musumune levels, but this has levels. Sometimes we don't even need Titi to press the story onward, but the implications of arousal make the plot truly stand out. From the shake of the skirt to the sweat on the face, we know exactly what's going on underneath that. But let's quickly talk transitions. Let's talk transitions! Fan service will almost never bleed out into the fourth wall, but here we find a wild fan service masquerading as a transition into the next scene. This isn't placed here to glue your eyes into the screen, but a, a mere charade created to wake you up from a long day of staring at Kosaka's rack and, and look up at whatever the hell else is going on. <laughs> the plot isn't here to entice your eyes, but keep your eyes on a storyline, and truly, that is a devilish and haunting way of hypnotising me with the tea. Still work though. It would be somewhat uh, sinful to talk about the music in the show. Magical. Truly some gems that you wouldn't hear from any other anime that depict a sense of mystery and longing to see what happens next. No matter what differences come from these star-crossed lovers, we believe truly that their hearts will go on, and you can quote me on that, shit, write a song on it. It doesn't matter who gets in the way, little sisters, other little sisters, other little sisters, or even your girlfriend's mum who looks exactly like her. Love prevails between anime teenagers. <laughs> Of course, I would be a bad man if I didn't talk about how wholesome the show concludes on. A portion of the show will actually be spent experiencing secondhand embarrassment from every awkward situation, but the true magic of the show really comes from how the protagonists come out together with a mere, with a more fleshed out idea of what each other wants. As Kosaka's goal is to be the perfect sexual image, Haruka's main desire is to just be with the girl and finding a crossroads between two somewhat conflicting personalities makes for a very entertaining compromise. Showbitch has no beach episode, no final awakening, but Showbitch gets a 7 out of 10. Big facts. Woo. We all had a tuny phase, bruh. Your tuny phase could have been anything. And you could have seen a football one time and pretended to be a football player your whole school life. My personal tuny phase was me going around year nine, clawing my fingers out and pretending to rasengan children in the corridor. But we're not talking about me. We're talking about love, tunibio and other delusions. Seasons one, two and the movies in between. So 
The story begins with Yuta, Dark Flame Dragon Emperor, who envelops his victims in the flames of darkness, and Rika, the Eye of the Wicked Lord, who meet upon the chances of fate and create a soul bond pact and become bound together for all eternity to search for the invisible boundary lines that cross between reality and fantasy. But it's not entirely true, uh, because they're pretending. <laughs> so, so, so off the bat, a very interesting way this show is brought out to us is that it's seen from Yuta's perspective. From a man who has long since left his toony days behind him, he's moved to a school far from his middle school, and he's going to start a whole new life of normality and simplicity, a regular school life. He wants to be free from his embarrassing past and finally become a man of respect. That is, until his dumbass shouts out something dumb before school starts and who hears it? Rika, the biggest toony in all the land. <laughs> Someone with absolutely no regard for turning over her tuny ways, she urges Yuta to be more tuny. In fact, she promotes and endorses this shit, dude. She's the worst possible influence. Obviously, my man doesn't actually, he, he doesn't actually go along with it because he's headstrong, he doesn't want to do it at all, but there's, there's a part of him inside and we can see that deep down in his heart, in his eyes, there's a sparkle of tuny. It's coming, but there, there, are, there are moments. So Rika's older sister is actually her caregiver, but Rika doesn't even respect her at all. She, and she brings in a cat, she adopts this cat when her older sister is allergic. It's the biggest disrespect. Someone should beat this girl, at least in a battle or something. Like, if I bought a cat home in high school, I know I'd get some good beats right across me, bro. These, these kids is brave. <laughs> <laughs> we follow the days as they go along. Yuta is dragged through scenarios involving Rika and her ragtag team of Chunis, such as Dekamori, Mori Summer, uh, Sayuri, and even later on, we also get uh, Shichimiya, who we'll, we'll get onto that later on. The thing is, we can't help but focus on, uh, on what, we've, what we can't help but focus on here is what makes these characters the way that they are. By the end of the first series, a fact that we can't help but acknowledge is a fact site undertones of loneliness in the Chuni lifestyle. It's a life that involves loneliness and it pushes people away and it forces them to be wary, creating a rumour or at least a facade of darkness around oneself to mask the fact that the that the the, the, the Chuni is them, them themselves is suffering on the inside and it's, it's, it's the class clown, it's the bully, it's the hero, it's the villain. It's the realisation that our lives aren't as exciting as what we wished it would be. And the answer is making it exciting yourself. Love Chinibio and del other delusions is more than just pretending, it's who we are in our hearts. The world built around us has to be seen from such warped angles that sometimes we see it from both perspectives and the moment the scene is set we're transported from bridges in the real world to dashing and sprawling battlegrounds for miles, mountains and stalagmites with little girl lollies standing on top of them, their silhouette brandishing massive weapon hammers bigger than their own damn body two times in fact attacked so massive they could rival Dragon Ball Z and we're not even just talking about Rika, we're, we're talking about down near everyone. 
we're, we're talking about Rika's sister, Yuta, Deka Mori. Every, literally every single person here has a final awakening one way or another. And we just got to ask ourselves, is this growth? Is this interpersonal growth? This feels like these characters might be growing up a little. Reg regardless of the beach episode coming in, there's something very unflattering about it. Uh, on, an, on, on, on the under level. We're given the mask of a beach episode, but what we're truly given underneath is an opportunity for confession and expression as the moment we're thrown into in the beach episode, we know that there's so much unsaid between these two characters and there's so much left to understand. And here we have Yuta begging on the inside to be spoken to, but there's no way in his heart that he can openly ask her without doing it in the most embarrassing way he knows how. Watching Yuta turn even half toony is something worth tearing up about as this is a man who's trying to escape his past can't escape his past and ultimately must embody it to move forward with Rika and make her happy this show uh, it definitely has plenty of hilarious moment but the hilarity really comes from more of the second-hand embarrassment like in uh, in showbit we, we really feel that from you to <laughs> but, but let's take a quick 180 and check out the movie, which plays itself from Rika's perspective. So we don't see as many comedic moments, as the humour really comes from Yuta's embarrassment, but through Rika we see the stunningly heartfelt story about a girl who falls deep for a boy, and she believes, who, who she believes is everything that she sees in him. From the day that she sees him shouting outside the gym, she's infatuated, and she's from, from the entirely different perspective, we can find a little bit more pity and empathy for the girl who's lost nearly everything, and at this point she's not even trying to get it back, she pretends it's not there. She puts it in the back of her mind and she plays on it like it's, like it's, she plays on life like it's not real. The true, real darkness of her life is hidden away behind secrets and trauma, and we see that Rika's not as annoying as she comes across, she's just as broken as the rest of us. As we can follow on from with the season two of of uh, Chuni, which uh, which isn't on Netflix, I won't talk about the movie because it's literally just a larger scale episode of season one. If not, it's the continuation. But you can't really understand season two without seeing the movie, and it's on Netflix. So you know, chop chop. I'll wait for you. Season two introduces uh, a new girl, Shitumiya, who has pink hair and hasn't killed anyone yet. <laughs> And she's a very long-term friend of Yuta's, and, and it really kind of appears that she has so many secrets, so many sad, sad secrets. So watch that, because that's all I can really truly say about uh, the last, uh, uh, say the last about in emotional moments. Even with no plot, love to Nibio and other delusions gets a good, healthy 8 out of 10. Woo. Good lad. So, you're a neat. You stay inside playing video games, watching anime, avoiding the outside world, and... Hold the fucking phone. That's me. <sighs> okay, so, you go outside to get that one limited edition lolly waifu figurine, and what happens during your most courageous moment in your life? You die. You did it. Congratulations. A goddess wakes you up and does you die. 
by insulting you every second and uh, sends you to another world with uh, a single thing that you could possibly ask for. Konosuba makes me realise how much I want to die. <laughs> oh my god, I have never wanted this more than I do now. <laughs> Kazuma is the only man of culture as, off the bat, my man protects a girl, a real-life girl, from being run over by a 5 miles per hour tractor and he dies on the operating table after a stroke and wets himself. But, the plus side, he wakes up in this strange, no game, no life-like room with hella checkers on the floor and a table, uh, where a goddess, goddess Aqua, tells him straight up how shitty his death was. She gives him the ultimate decision. He can either go to heaven and live out the remainder of his time on clouds, being unable to lose his precious virginity, get reincarnated as a baby in the real world, or, or he can, uh, he can go to a fantasy world with one or any item he asks for. Ultimately, my man chooses Lady Aqua herself. He makes the cultured decision to take Lady Aqua to the fantasy world, where she is promptly and swiftly replaced by another prettier demon. Savage. Classic bougie ratchet. So the ultimate goal, the true mission, is to destroy the demon lord. I feel like I've heard this before. <sighs> yeah, that's true. Konosuba does have a face level basic as fuck storyline that will really have you rolling her eyes, almost the same as Cautious Hero, but there's something a little bit more appealing about this one. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Something about these characters just appears so fluid. The humour is so streamlined that the moment someone says something, you can nearly imagine what someone else will say in response. Kazuma represents the way that we'd react, almost sarcastically responding to the stupidity, always responding to the sarcastic... Oh, fuck. Almost always sarcastically responding to the stupidity around him, allowing us to stop feeling so smart Noticing such chinks in this isekai armor, he's supposedly, uh, he's supposedly, supposed, he's supposed to be extremely smart too, as his luck skill was beyond the average. He learns the steel skill somewhat early in the series and finally gets what he wanted from the very beginning. Ladies underwear, panties, bro, he gets the, he swift, he snatches it as fast as he could possibly. People will speak ill of this show. They'll say hateful, slanderous things, such as Aqua's butt cheeks defy nature and logic. They should be flapping in the wind. Where is her underwear? I want to see it. But real men of culture understand that it's the mystery of the characters. We are almost forced to appreciate the characters for the way that they act and absolutely not the way that they look, which is fairly easy since Megamine is like 14 and like ejaculates every time she casts a spell. A final awakening is almost prevalent in a show like this, but when you look at a character like Kazuma, I don't really see best boy material, let alone a final awakening material. Kazuma relies on his luck a hella and his skills uh, the other amount, but the show the entire way through, Kazuma is smart. Despite seeing this as a fantasy world, the logics he's able to settle down actually works. 
he, he constantly finds new ways of making his life in his fantasy world easier, despite his teammates taking that away from him as quickly as possible. It's almost hard to tell the difference between this show and shows such as uh, Kempo Ichi Rise Up and Cautious Hero, because despite the individuality of the characters, they not only don't achieve a final awakening, but they also uh, have dumb as shit teammates holding them back, which the show nearly constantly comes back to as an attempt to bring back the season 1 funnies. Now, I don't want to be the forefront on culture here, but someone's got to do it. <laughs> this, this show does have a competition for best girl and I will lay down the sequence right here for you today. Remember these names as they do dictate the laws of the world and how well these girls perform in game. So here goes the order from worst to best girl. Aqua, Yunyun, Wiz, Darkness, Megamine, and then Chris. This is in fact, this is, this is fact, as Chris has had the most progression in the entire story, teaching Kazuma the steel skill, which has progressed it the most. The music in the show is definitely very up and down, as it maintains that slice of light simplicity alongside that beautiful fantasy world vibe, but it's basic. The, the way that the music complements the scenarios around us is on another level of, of comedy isekai, but the cherry on top has to be the theme songs that accompany the characters. Darkness's theme song, Megamine's explosion theme. Clearly these themes aren't meant to fool you into thinking this is a drama or a hentai, but this is as close as you'll get to the child safe combination of both at the same time in your life. They add a definite feeling uh, to the way that these characters act, an atmosphere that you couldn't ignore, and accompanied with Kazuma's sarcastic attitude, this makes it a truly a top show. The scoring is warped, but with no gripping storyline, no beach episode, no final awakening, and no emotional moments, Konosuba's gonna get a 6 out of 10, but it gets a 10 out of 10 in my heart, but only season 1. I gotta be, I gotta be cultured up in this. Golden week, baby, golden week for men of culture. I present to you Spiritual Waifu Pokemon Go Simulator. We've got all the waifus here. We've got Sundere Chan. We've got Already Dead Chan. We've got Snake Girl Chan. And finally, you've got Ultimate Cat Girl Waifu Chan. It's been long overdue, but we're out here talking about Bakemonogatari. Now some of you, some people might even tell you that this is a confusing series, or it's not worth it, or, 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 or it's dumb, or, 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 it's, or it's not even dubbed yet, but I don't know why Johnny's telling lies, but I'm here to set the record straight, that I've been watching this one series for six straight hours, and I'm going to have to tell everyone to watch this, where... A vast amount of anime will show you exactly what the past is or how it's unfolded. Bakemonogatari performs excellently by telling you and not showing you as quickly as possible, almost so fast you can't read it, forcing you to, uh, forcing you even more to glue your eyes to the screen. By the end of this, your eyes will be all over the damn screen, speed reading subtitles, reading the, 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 the sub-subtitles around the screen, looking at road signs, character body posture, and that will just be one sentence. There is, 
There is so much to take on board when it comes to this show, but ultimately it gives you the option to only focus on what the characters are saying. And there are so many various ways that the shows could be seen from by reading the scenery, reading the thoughts, reading the, the manga. <laughs> and each of these mediums will give you a different insight to how the characters to in, into the characters in scene and how they think. From the melancholic distrust of Senjo Kahara to the blind trusting heroism of Araragi, every single character introduced is either another entity or a whole new personality deriving deeper and deeper into the abyss of colourful personalities as little fight scenes as we find. Every scene is so expertly choreographed, allowing everyone and anyone to follow the movements as if it's in slow motion but also giving the scenes a sense that none of this is real. From the cuts that that the show portrays, the red and black scenes were taken from the realism the the characters are feeling and into the inner thoughts of the real show. The anime is so hard to entirely understand, but so easy to understand all at the same time. But one thing is certain, that not only the characters have character, but the show has character. There is a show behind the character. On, on the underlayer of the show is character. There is so much. The coherence in the show exceeds real life. From moment one, we're introduced to Araragi, who is one-tenth vampire, who's, a walk, who's walking up a flight of stairs when a girl slips on a banana and falls into his arms, to which his realisation is that she's weightless and she has no mass. And from this point on, we're introduced to nearly another weekly monster-type ordeal. But these aren't monsters. These are girls with problems. Maybe even real-life people with feelings and regrets in life. And although it's not Araragi's responsibility to help them, but it's in his character. And he's, he's a caring person despite everything and, and anything. My uh, every single character is uh, is is super well designed and thought through from the way that they think, the way that they respond. Every single sentence is so fluid, streamlined. It's so hard to find a spot to take a breath with these conversations. It's dialogues like these that truly have eyes glued to the screen, but the conversations also run really interesting. We have high school students sometimes talking about high school things, but sometimes we have mindless, witty facts that come out later on. Find out that they're not mindless, witty facts, as as, they're not as mindless as we thought. Because of these mindless facts, they come through later on. <laughs> Way outside of where the joke had originally come up. Okay, so what I'm talking about here is I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking back to uh, a certain scene involving Araragi and, uh, Han- and Kanakawa. Um, uh, Hanakawa, even. Uh, Hanakawa hears something on the radio. A letter wrote about how anime is cool, but the maids in real life actually have really tough jobs. And they know this from meeting a maid at a chill-out spot, to which Araragi responds annoyed about how maids have tough jobs, but the maid who said this was relaxing and chilling out. The letter was... <laughs> it, it contradicted itself entirely and that was where the comedy came from and it was written by a cat bear now the, 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 the thing about cat bear was that this show can't be 
dubbed in a way that cat bear in uh, kanji would mean would mean panda. So the person who wrote it was under the alias of panda. Later on, we have another girl trying to cheer up Araragi on the phone, saying that exact same letter, and Araragi makes the quick correlation, saying that she's the panda and she she knows, and it's it's amazing. It's. <laughs> It's amazing. There's so much to be connected throughout the series that it's hard to find a true starting point. But the truest way to get a solid understanding of the show is in its uh, in, in its entirety is to uh, turn the lights off, put a blanket over the TV and put your head underneath the blanket and stare at Monogatari for uh, six hours straight. But the show is not even six hours. It's five. I just kept rewinding it so much. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, the world built around us in the show is almost the the hardest thing to uh, to explain or even critique. As the town lived, it's supposed to be somewhat moderately small, but the way that the scenes are animated are so wide and far apart that you never truly have a full scale uh, a full scale on how large the world is around us. A single road could last for a minute in actual time, but uh, it's animated like it stretches for miles. The scenery does something. Uh, the scenery does something I've never seen done with anything else by taking the scenery and almost entirely separating it from the actual world, separating the characters, allowing the characters to stand out in every single scenario, putting the anime versions of the main characters and putting them in uh, cut-up, real-life, uh, physical places. As if, uh, as if they took... <laughs> I'm going back to what I said about Madoka Magica when I speak about how it looks like they took uh, newspaper cutouts or uh, magazine cutouts and stuck them onto the anime. Yeah, it's that one. So, um, it's... It's truly, it's, uh, so you, you see the characters, they stand out in every single scenario. It almost highlights them even. It's, um, it, it, as it explains the story, we know where the eyes are supposed to be, but we're never really given that as a thought, it's a reaction. We're taught this from the, from the frames shown to us at high speed, that if we've come this far already, we not only care, but we're, we're forced to care. We're on this journey together and we're here to understand. A final awakening is sometimes very nice to get a better understanding of the characters a little bit more. But really, not everyone gets one. Some might even relate a single transformation to a final awakening. And in which case, I'll be giving a final awakening award to Hanakawa for turning into a literal cat girl and saying, God, hold on, hold on. Can you imagine an imaginary menagerie manager imagining managing an imaginary menagerie? Ho, oh, I can't believe that shit. <sighs> so obviously, obviously that's plot. My man's. But are we here for the tea? There's no beach episode, despite there being a, a whole crab. So let's just jump into the big, huge pool of emotional fallback. On the surface level, this show may not be seen as something emotional, but given the deeper dive into the lore and understanding of the storyline, we see that this is more than just a man who used to be an idiot vampire. He's also kind of an idiot now. Because he, he doesn't entirely feel all these emotions, but he helps random girls anyway. 
which is kind of king shit, but not entirely. What sets this show apart from so many anime is really what it does with its music as well. Every single arc has a different OP, and you know what the best one is? Huh? Huh? That's right, it's Central Kahara's OP, easy. The music is so melancholic, we sometimes actually find ourselves uh, looking at a scene with no music whatsoever, and that's because the show does what other shows do not do, and that's incorporate it into the show. The, the, show is, it, the show is not half music, half show. The music is only there to emphasise a scene or a feeling and allow a deeper understanding of the mood. Some characters have specific themes and uh, regardless of the utilisation of music, sometimes you find a vast correlation between the actual comedy and the lack of music. The awkward silences are truly emphasised. But really, I'd have to leave that to y'all to decide. But with no beach episode at all, Bakemonogatari gets a 9 out of 10. Boom, bam. Well, we made it to the end of the episode. What was your favourite part of the show? I kind of like that part too. I can't lie though, my favourite part of the show was when I talked about gang shit for 5 minutes. I'm going to count talking about Goku dolls talking about gang shit because it's still Yakuza um um if anyone wants me to be uh the, the, the top anime uh chronological chron- chron- anime enthusiast of Yakuza hit, hit me up bro but until then um it's been good get 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 the hell out of my corner <laughs> leave go home see you later man see you next week next fortnight bye doodaloo Got mid dick energy, catch me in the crib with my cat sipping Hennessy, noodles in the bowl, got a toast with a sesame, blunt swell, about to watch the third demon centipede, that's gross, and I don't got frenemies, any nigga wanna be afraid of me, evade me then, cause I've never been a bitch, if you wanna